0: I wanted you to kind of bear with me. I'm trying to juggle my iPad and the computer that's going back there and my notes, so, (laughs) and and demonstrating some things. So glad you're here. So let's have a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way you bless us with food. That is so delicious and with such great variety and abundance. Father, you are a great giver, and we pray that we would use things, the gifts that you give us wisely, and that we could be a blessing to others and to our family. This is our prayer, that many may come to know you through our hands of service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Aren't food that are canned beautiful? <laughs> I wish I could have shown you the whole shelf. They, they selected this little part of the shelf to show. And they have so many colors and beauty. You can see pickles there and sauerkraut. Looks like strawberry sauce and possibly peaches. So, we all love food, don't we? It's something we look forward to as a family. And there's things we can do together when we're preserving food, which is really special. Um, when we work hard to grow food and we invest our time and our energy in it, and, or if we purchase food in bulk even, we don't want to let it perish. We just, that's one of the things I'd, I give myself to, is if I've spent hours and hours and hours planting and weeding and watering, you know, 100 foot rows of a certain crop, I don't want to see it lost, and I'm sure you don't either. So, this class is going to be about ideas of what we can do with excess crops. And, also the value of food preservation, and keeping storage crops. Those are mostly like the winter crops that we want to keep. So, the Bible talks a lot about the fruit of our labor, and God promises to bless us when we obey Him and, one of the, and when we trust Him. Psalm 34 or 5 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. <clears throat> so shall you dwell in the land, and verily you shall be fed. I like Deuteronomy 28. Also. Deuteronomy, and I want you to know that I am going to uh, um, have the notes emailed to you. There's, I'm going to be giving you extensive notes on how to do things I don't know how to do. <laughs> I, I'm really quite a simple cook, and I preserve what I need to, but I like to eat fresh food, so a lot. So I'm, I'm just wanting you to know that you will get notes, and I'm going to have you write your emails down so we can get them. All right, so God says in Deuteronomy 28, he says, and it shall come to pass. Is that a promise? It's that what he said about Jesus' birth, and it shall come to pass. And it shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do all his commandments which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will bless you above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. They're just going to come over you as you're, <laughs> just ta- overtake you. And then he says, Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your kine, and the flocks of your sheep. It says, Blessed shall be your basket and your store. So do you see abundance in this? And what is it dependent on? Say it? Say it again, faithfulness? Obedience, Obedience. that's right. Obedience. And God is promising us that. That takes faith, doesn't it? It takes faith to honor him and to obey what he says and to trust that he will take care of us. But he says he will, just try me, right? Right? So he says it again in Deuteronomy. So that's the first part. And in 8, he says, The Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouses and in all that you put your hand unto. And he shall bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. In Deuteronomy 28.11, he says, And the Lord shall make you plenteous in goods, in the fruit of your body, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. 28.12, The Lord shall open unto you his good treasure, heaven to give the rain unto your land in his season and to bless all the work of your hand and you shall lend unto many nations and you shall not borrow God is amazing he wants to tell us and all the blessings are related to what the land our food supply what we can share that we will have influence so He wants us to be in the same chapter, the head and not the tail. He says in Isaiah 58, and this is what I'm remembering too, I don't have to look after myself and preserve everything. I can think about what God wants me to do first. And he says, if you deal your bread to the hungry and you bring the poor that are cast out to your house, you know that um, he will guide you continually you shall be like a watered garden and a spring of water whose waters fail not. So he's talking about prospering us when we obey him. That's, that's a challenge because that's faith and we want to please him, right? We want to please him and then he'll show us himself faithful to us. And so one of the things my husband liked was a bumper sticker he saw which said, Farming is the only essential industry. Well, that made him really happy. (laughs) Well, you think about it. Remember the seven years of famine that Egypt had and how God gave Pharaoh a dream and, and how Joseph was chosen to take care of all the food and to store it, to preserve that nation and to preserve his own house. That is an incredible story, and it's all about farming and crop storage, isn't it? So these are really important things for us to understand, and could it be that in the last days, God's people are going to bless the hungry, and when calamity comes upon us, we can share with them our abundance? God, indeed, indeed. God is going to have us have that place. And you know, Jesus came through that line of the Israelite nation that was saved there in Egypt through Joseph's work of being faithful to God. He was faithful in the dungeon, and then he was faithful on the throne. So food preservation is a good way to be sure there is food when crops fail because you don't know what will happen, right? And it's also food to share, and that we have something of value to sell or barter. So I would like to talk about the Proverbs 31 woman briefly. Proverbs 31, um, she's well-renowned, and she's honored by her husband and her kids, her, their children. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Our ships have a lot of food on them. She rises while it is yet night, and provides food for her household, and portions for her maidens. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Why is she laughing at the time to come? What do you think? Say it again? She's prepared. She's prepared. She is prepared. She's stored things away. That, that God would be able to use later. So we do our part, and God does His part, and He, he helps us all the time. So, now we're living in a different day and age in the, than those days. We have a lot more um, amenities. We have refrigeration, we have electricity, we have freezers. We have ways to extend our growing season that we didn't have before. And, as, and here in Australia, you can eat fresh all year long. You, could, you even grow all year long. It's, it's really very wonderful. So it's not a dire necessity to preserve food, but it is a principle that we, that we, we want to pick up the fragments. We don't want them let to let them go to waste, so we want to use them in some way that would be useful. So it's still of much value to preserve food or to use it in an ad- In another way. So, I want to look at uh, first some wise principles that we have about our health and our sustenance, and that's eating plenty of raw food that's fresh daily, especially for you all. Um, There's a lot of cold countries that people have to put away food for the winter, and that's that's important and it has been important for many years. It's good to eat a large variety of produce that is available locally. So, that's important, and it's good to eat and grow organically. The pesticides are showing so many health problems to people and encourage you to buy organic or grow organic, and it's much less expensive to grow organic (laughs) than to buy it. And then gather the excess and utilize it. Now, I tend to be a saver, because I was influenced a lot by my father, who grew up poor and he lived in the Great Depression period, when people were suffering. And he also came from Norwegian stock, which is a northern climate that people had to be careful to make it through the long winter. And he grew up in Minnesota, which is very similar. Many Scandinavians actually immigrated and settled in Minnesota, which is very cold. My mother came from Maine, which is also a cold climate. So, but if you save and keep everything and utilize everything in the garden, you could run yourself ragged, right? Because we can't just be keeping running after food. And it is good to have people that can help. It's good to do this kind of thing as a team. Uh, Children or neighbors. But so we want to think of options that we can do when we have a bountiful harvest. Right? Because we want to be balanced. We want to think about what can I do. Because most of us are pretty busy doing many things. So I want to talk about um, the blessings in abundance. So we have some options when we have abundance, right? And one is that we can share our food that's fresh with, with our neighbors or our church members or the sick. Um, those can make nice gifts for people when you have extra food. You can think, oh, is there somebody who's sick? Is there an elderly person that can't get out and about, and I could go and see her and, or him? Um, We can sell it, which is always good. You can sell it, you can gather it together and you can um, sell a basket of vegetables, or you can sell it with somebody who's also going to market. You can coordinate with somebody who's doing that regularly if you have excess. Um, You can have your children make a farm stand in a place where they could, people could come by and they could sell your extra. And that's really good for them to learn how to, work with money and how to save money, and also find value in the farming themselves. Um, we could barter our our produce for, for someone's work. You know, like a plumber, and you need something done or fixed or a carpenter, you could provide produce for them for a period of time. That's a really nice way to do things, especially if you have organic food and they value it. Um, it's worth a lot to... To many people, um, you can do value-added products, and value-added products are where you can take your food and change it into something that actually has more value, and people will spend more for it. So, one time when we had a crisis on our strawberry farm, and it rained and rained, while well the water the berries get waterlogged. And so you can pick them, and you can't sell them because they're waterlogged, but they're not spoiled because you're picking them right away. And you can freeze them, and then you can, that's where freezers come in handy. You freeze them, and then later when you have the time, you can make strawberry syrup. And strawberry syrup is actually valued at a higher price than fresh strawberries <coughs> for the amount of strawberries you're using. I, that really kind of hurt me when I first started farming because I hate blending up fresh strawberries that are nice to make syrup because they are so amazingly beautiful. And, but sometimes, if you have more than you can sell, then you do that. Or you can dry them. So those are different ways that you can preserve. Um, your, I liked. I was going to ask uh, Desley to share how she does um, value-added products. She uses her kale to make kale chips to, make, to take to market. And they are really delicious. And she uses this dehydrator here. She also uses excess fruit to make fruit leathers that she sells at market. She also uses her extra herbs that come back from market that are fresh and dries them and then sells them as dried herbs. So there's many ways that you can actually use your excess produce that that will be a blessing to others. And another thing is you can be really creative with gifts. Pam was just sharing with me that she made a vegetable basket up for a new mother. And that mother buys produce from us, organic produce, and values it so highly. So she put it in preserves, you know, like strawberry syrup and kale and tomatoes and all the vegetables from the garden because we have excess. If you sow abundantly, you'll reap abundantly. And so you have this extra. And so she just made a nice card that says, um, feeding you is feeding the baby. You know, or we're, we're enjoying helping and feeding the baby. So she was delighted, this, this woman who's very, very health conscious. So we're going to get on to preserving food now as, so that you could not feel overwhelmed or that driven. I wanted to give you some thoughts of what you could do to preserve your, your soul at rest and remember to gather people around when you're doing some preserving that's a little bit more time consuming and that you might need help and you can trade work with somebody else. So the methods I'm going to start with are the methods that are the simplest and the ones that preserve the most nutrition in your food. And then we'll work our way to the most time consuming and the most processed. Okay? Um, Like I said, I'm not an expert. I I don't really pressure can, so, but we're going to talk about pressure canning. And I'll introduce you to the most common and effective methods, giving you an overview of the most commonly used methods. Okay, so we're going to look at freezing. Freezing is, the most nutritious. It's closest to raw and people that are on raw food diets eat frozen food and it's actually the easiest to do and it's my favorite way right now because my kids are all grown and married and I'm helping Edwin even more on the farm and so freezing food is very convenient and It retains its natural color, and it's really the fastest thing to do. Like if I have tomatoes, and I don't have time to can, or if it's not enough that I want to get out all the apparatus, I just chop them, and I put them in Ziploc bags. And they make their own juice, and there's no air in it, and I just freeze them. And then I can pull them out instead of canned tomatoes for soups, or salsa, or whatever. Or you can actually cook them later if you really wanted to, you know, like to make a a value-added product. But it's just a way of preserving it until another time that you can use it. So, um, you want to freeze your fruits and vegetables when they're at the peak of freshness. And, you want to, there are two ways of dealing with vegetables. You will blanch some vegetables and some vegetables you can not blanch. You can choose to not blanch any, but they preserve not more nicely and more nutritiously if they're blanched first. So blanching um, and submerging the plants in ice water afterward is, is, I'll show you a picture of it. Let's see, advancing here. there we go. We have green beans that, what do you call that, a sieve, that basket there that we're dipping? Is it a sieve or what do you, yes? Okay, that's what we use for blanching and we get a, a big kettle with boiling water in it. How many of you have blanched food before? Okay, quite a lot of you have and so you know all about it, right? So blanching is something you do quickly. You're going to dip not too many green beans in the basket at once so that the water goes around all of them, about half full. And you'll dip it in for one minute, it was recommended. Um, I think it depends, I wouldn't do it more than three for sure, but one to three, it depends on whether you want it. It shouldn't be soft at all. It's just the outer coating that is going to be changing its texture. And you're, what you're doing is you're destroying the enzymes that actually um, deteriorate the, the fruit. Um, when you do that and you pull them out, like broccoli, the stem of a broccoli is thicker and it would take the three minutes possibly. You could poke a fork in and see is it tender enough. But often if you're going to steam it later and you eat it, it's, it's, you really want a quick blanch if you want to use it like to freeze it and then maybe take it out and just let it thaw and people can use it for a vegetable dip or you know where they're going to be eating it raw if you're going to steam it later i don't think it's really important to steam it more than a minute or a minute and a half it's kind of hard to keep up with it for a minute because when you put in colder um, vegetables the the water doesn't it loses its boiling you know what i mean for a half a minute or so, so just give it a minute and a half it if you need to. And then cool it in the ice water, and you might have to just keep adding ice if you have a lot, and then we put it on uh, trays with paper towels, and that way the water is absorbed off of them, and you want the water, you can pat them dry before, and let them cool completely before you put them in freezer bags. And with, with all of these, you're going to fill the containers to the top, in heavyweight, airtight containers, or... You can even freeze in mason jars if you leave enough space, but I'm not talking about vegetables here. <laughs> but, I'm, but your vegetables you're going to put in freezer bags and remove as much air as possible. And... I don't have a vacuum sealer that takes out the air. I don't know if this is one here or if this is just sealing bags. Um, I think this is just sealing bags, like when Desley makes kale chips, she puts them in a bag, and then it seals the bag. But you can get a vacuum packer that actually takes the air out of the bag, and it's then you can freeze it without air in there. But I have only used a straw <laughs> to do mine. I just leave a little space, and I pull the air out, and then I zip it closed. And um, you, need, you need bags that are new that don't have any holes in it, Otherwise, they just get the air back in there. <laughs> so, and it's not the worst thing if you have air in it. It just tends to give the freezer burn or ice around them more easily. So, we tend, you tend to want to use your, your fruit up within a year, the frozen fruits and the vegetables at least within 18 months. It doesn't mean they're going to go bad if you, if you wait longer, but their quality will decline some. Okay. So the kinds of vegetables that you would like to use are those that hold up well with cooking. Um, these are the corn, peas, beans. You um, can do that with carrots. You know, they generally freeze well, the ones that hold well with cooking. Um, when, you're, when you're taking your fruit out of the freezer, uh, for a better texture, you can try eating it before it completely thaws because they kind of just lose their their shape and their, their um, texture. All right. So fruits and vegetables freeze best at 18 degrees centigrade or colder. Because you're wanting to do that quick, and you want it to be at the right temperature for holding. Now, when you're freezing... Fruits, you want to wash the fruits and sort for damaged fruit before you're freezing them. Some fruits do best with the sugar or some sweetener, sugar syrup. Um, I don't tend to do that because I'm not using sugar right now, but you could use a honey syrup or or something more natural if you wanted to. Um, What it can do that's a blessing, like if you slice your strawberries up and you just put a little bit of sugar with them. They make their own little juice around them. So when you pack them, you don't have to get the air out. So it's, it has a little bit of juice on the strawberries sliced, and if you take it out the night before and put it in the fridge, or even take it camping frozen, I was amazed at that you can just put it on waffles. Um, you don't have to do anything to it. It's already got this little syrup on it, and it's, it looks like fresh berries. It's bright red and very beautiful and tastes great. Then there's, there's um, blueberries, currants, and cranberries. They do fine without any sugar. You just seal them up, and they're very easy. I love frozen blueberries, like on cereal. We just take them out. Like, if you don't have bananas, we just take out our berries and put them on our cereal in the morning. Um, blueberries are amazing for your health. Um, There's a trick for freezing delicate berries. Have you frozen berries before, like raspberries or strawberries? You can put them on trays and put them in your freezer. Um, That way, they're not going to get all mashed when you put them in a bag. I don't do that with strawberries because we're a strawberry farm. So, we just put them in the bag (laughs) and get it done with. We We could never keep up with putting as many trays, you know, in our freezer. So don't be worried about it. Strawberries keep their shape better than raspberries by far, and I wouldn't worry about it too much. But we like to use them all winter, like for strawberry sauce, on top of our pancakes and waffles. Um, Let's see. There are fruits that brown a bit, like sliced apples or peaches or nectarines, and you can make a a little bit of... um, Take a bit of powdered ascorbic acid that you can get like from a health food store and then make a, a wash, an acid wash that you can use just to either sprinkle over your apples, which would be like a half a teaspoon of ascorbic acid to three tablespoons of water. So that's kind of just like sprinkling it over and just tossing them gently. But you can also dip things in like a lemon juice water solution, like one liter of water to a tablespoon of lemon juice. And that really helps them. I, one time I didn't do that, and our peaches were brownish in the freezer. They're just not as appetizing looking, right? Then you have to, like, cook them and put a crisp topping on <laughs> so, so nobody notices, <laughs> right? So you, you, can, you, you can be smart. You can add blueberries in, too, and make it festive, but if you're going to eat them, like you're thawing them and you're going to serve them, you, you don't want them brown. And... So that's something you can do and then just freeze them. And then if you want to bring it out for apple pie or peach pie or whatever you're going to use it for, that's a great blessing. Um, let's see. Mm. The other idea was for blanched vegetables is that you can add them to salads and pasta salads or pasta dishes, you know, just without cooking them anymore. They make a really nice summer dish for a salad. Um, like little broccoli, you know, because some kind of raw broccoli is a little harder. It's not as delicious as just blanched for one minute. You know, so it, it has that. So you can use your extra food that way to get things ready so that you can u- put them into potato salads or whatever you want to do. Um, The foods that you can cut easily and don't even need to be concerned about blanching are food, you know, crops that you're going to put in soups anyway, like onions and peppers and potatoes or um, capsicum is a great one for putting in soup to add color. Um, we often ha- chop our onions up. I'm going to show you what we use la- later, a Vidalia chopper for that. You can also do it with tomatoes, like I was saying. You can chop your tomatoes and put them in freezer bags and use that for tomato soup or whatever you want. So often, Desley and I don't blanch because it's one more step, and if you're going to use it right away, it's not a huge deal. But if you if you have the time to do it properly, there's... It's going to be nicer if you have it as a side dish to have that blanching. Um, we're going to go on and talk about dehydrating. This is Desley's dehydrator, and she can put up to like thirty racks in it I mean. And it doesn't work as effectively because of the heat being able to get all the way through it, but so she doesn't probably use it that way as much, but they just stack individually. I think that's very special. And this is the kind I use, it's called Excalibur. What's nice about dehydrating food is even though it takes electricity to do it, it's in the long term you don't need electricity to store it once it's dried, so we can talk about that. You know, you're not having to use a freezer. So people are really thinking about the last days. Maybe they don't have electricity. What could they do? But there are sun dryers that could be made, but this is what we're using now. We live in a very moist climate. (laughs) So you want them dried quickly so that they're not harboring disease. They're also very highly nutritious, and people that are on raw food diets eat dried food and frozen food, because you're just reducing the amount of water, and, then it's l- and it's on a low temperature. And the end product's very portable. It's very lightweight. You can take it camping. You can put it in a freezer bag, you know, and just take it with you. Um, I'd like to share with you a way a friend of mine does hers. She dries her tomatoes, Um, and then she puts them in a jar, like these jars here. Do you see the little yellow like band-aid on the top of it? Can you see that? It's not totally visible, but each jar has a little yellow strip on it. Can you see it? Okay. So what she's doing is, is we use these kind of mason jars. This is one of our smallest ones. This is just one cup. And let's say she's dried tomatoes. And she, she really likes to eat her food raw. And so she dries the tomatoes out. And the tomatoes, if you canned them, would take liters. But when she, when she dries them, they turn out really thin. And she puts them in a liter. And she puts the lid on. And so now she's got available to her a much smaller space for more, for the amount of tomatoes that she has here. So when she needs them, she, so what she's using is this pump and seal. And she introduced me to it. I think it's amazing. What they do is they press the thumbtack through here so it has a little hole. And then they give you these band-aid things that go over. Did I just lose power there? And then they take the pump and seal and place it over the top, and you pump, and that's pulling air through that little hole and until all the air air has been pulled out, and you can feel that there's a seal, a really good seal on your jar. Now, those tomatoes are not going to get moisture on them. They're not going to go bad because they're sealed. And my cousin, he loves this so much, this kind of pump and seal, that he uses it also. Sorry, I'm going to pause and change the Okay. Just hang on a Yeah. Is that good? Yeah. Yep. Um, I'll say that it's a great way to preserve nuts. You know, we can't freeze everything. And if you have nuts in a jar, and you, and you take out the air, they won't go rancid on you. They'll stay for years. And so will your dried tomatoes. And so when you open them up, guess what she does for tomato sauce? Tomato sauce. Right? Tomato sauce. Okay, so it goes in the blender with some water and herbs. And she loves eating it fresh. It's fresh tomatoes. She says there's no sauce like this. You know, you have garlic. You can just heat it gradually to the temperature you want. You don't have to boil it, and it's pungent with flavor, you know? So that's exciting. She has eggplants in these jars, all in their circles, air taken out. So you can have that aubergine, right, with your lasagna. There's so many ways you can have that readily available when you don't have it in season or when you have excess and you want to keep it. And those are, um, those make great gifts, too. So, but you know what? That lid that has the little hole in it is reusable. Okay? And some people that, you might have a lid that you're always using new lids for your water bath canning, but you can use your old lids for your vacuum. It'll just vacuum out the air and it'll seal it down. And so that's an exciting way to reuse something, as long as it's not bent or that seal damaged, if you, if you have the ability to take it off easily. So what my, my um, cousin likes to do, he's the first cousin of my husband, is he puts leftovers in these, can you, and he pulls out the air and he goes, the leftovers keep so well, they don't deteriorate at all. And I mean, he's going to use it, but this guy is like fastidious. He's the packer in the family, and he's into the little machines, and he's so practical. So he's the one doing this. Yes, he's involved in the kitchen. He thinks it's great. He sharpens all the knives. So anyway, um, he's half Australian too. His mom is the sister to our mom. So um, that's what I wanted to share with you about pump and seal. I don't know if you have that available, but there are people who import things that we can tell you about that import things from the States. But let me know if you can find it here. Have you heard of anything like that before? The pump and seal? I think that's an amazing gift. It's not electrical. It uses your muscles. All right. Um, Let's see where we are now. When you're dehydrating, you want to try to keep your slices at an even thickness because you want them to dry at the same time. And you're going to be checking them every day and flipping them over if they're, I don't usually flip them over, but you need, might need to if they're too wet or, you know, you, you want to make sure they're drying evenly. Um, now, to make sure that the drying time, you're going to check on my dehydrator. Um, oh, I've already, I can go back one. It has a dial that shares with you the kind of food you're putting in and what temperature to turn it to for that food from fruits to vegetables, and herbs also. So, you will check with yours to see, you know, what, what temperature it's on, and put it on during the night when you don't want to hear it, and check it in the morning, see how it's doing. So, they usually take eight hours, at least. So, eight to 12 hours on an average. So, you can look, at, you can look it up, different th- you know, timings for different foods then when you t- get a slice, and you, f- you need to see if it's dry to the touch. Because what you don't want to do is not get it dry enough. And because that will add so much work to your life and loss. So, if it's dry to the touch after it cools one piece, then you, you, it's adequate. Um, but you can then cut it through and see if there's any beading of moisture. And if it is, when you cut it through, then you want to, to let it dry a little longer. Um, I would say allow your fruit and vegetables to cool for 30 to 60 minutes and before you pack them. Okay, Because you do not want any sweating in the bags. And you're going to place them loosely in your packed jars if you have them, and shake them a little so that they're if there was any moisture, it would kind of absorb through all of them, because some of the, them will be pretty dry. So, if any condensation appears on the jar, then the fruit needs to be returned to the dehy- dehydrator. Okay, you want to keep, them. that's why I think the vacuum packer is really nice. <laughs> you know, it's not as problematic, but if they're really dry and crispy, they are not going to have a problem. All right. Process foods. These are some tips. Process your foods as soon after harvest as possible. Because every harvested food actually loses nutrition every day that it sits. So you're wanting, unless it's being stored, you know, like apples in cold storage. But I'm talking about vegetables or um, fruits, certain fruits that are soft. So, drying, so you're going to um, not add fresh produce to a partially-loaded dryer because then you're going to add moisture again into there. So, when stored properly dehydrated foods are usually good for a year. So, you can start a journal to track, you know, when this, or right on your bag when it was dried, right? And record your own drying times for various foods, so you can know how long you did, you have it in the dryer. Okay, now water, water bath canning. How many of you have done that? Using the drum? Any of you done that? Yeah? That's kind of the most common way that people preserve foods, especially like applesauce, is that a staple for you all on your bread? Um, Tomato sauce, is that a staple for you? Tomato sauce? (laughs) Yes or no? Do you use that? Because often there's a lot of tomatoes at one time, right? And if you are getting an apple harvest, you get a lot at one time. So we like to put that up so that we can eat it all year. I mean, the kids like it on bread instead of jam. So... you're going to be using high-acid foods for uh, a water bath. And it's the low-acid foods that are going to be pressure canned. So the high acid makes it so that it can can without pressure, and it doesn't go bad. Um, These usually include fruits or fruit juices, jams, jellies, fruit spreads, salsas, tomatoes, with added acids. Tomatoes are getting a little sweeter these days, how they're being propagated, so often people would add a teaspoon of lemon juice per jar, per per, per liter, but I haven't done that yet, and they seem to have worked well, but that's what's recommended. And pickles, because of the lemon juice, I've even done pickled green beans, they're not really pickled, but they were, I had a recipe for doing them, so they're dilly green beans, so that you can eat them cold in the summer. Like for a salad, and you're in rush, and you want to make a three bean salad or five bean salad for a Sabbath, you can take out your dilly green beans. So they are also water bathed if they have enough lemon juice and their garlic in there. So it's the same idea as a pickle. Um, relishes can be done this way, chutneys and different fruit sauces. Okay, what you're going to need is you're going to need a water bath canner. This is the drum. And a rack that goes inside. This keeps the the jars from banging on the bottom. And so you're going to set your drum, inside your drum, the rack. And then you're going to have your jars And, you know, there's a place right near here that has bulk sales in all of the things I'm talking about. I mean, pressure canners, water canners, steam canners. We're going to talk about steam canners next. Um, So we have usually seven fit in. This one really looks like a nice big canner. It might fit eight because my my new one, this has got to fit more than, so you fit them around the perimeter and one in the middle. And you, they don't let them touch each other, so before you get to that place, okay, you're going to wash your jars in hot water, and they need to remain hot. Um, that's the ideal. You could put it in a dishwasher if you want to, and just let them wash on the cycle without soap even or with soap if they're dirty but we we put them in our shelves clean, but you know we want to make sure they're You don't have to have them sterilized, because they're going to be heating and sterilizing that way, but they should be cleaned and hot. And that keeps everything. And then you're going to have hot too. So you're going to have these lids. You can get these lids in our country in bands, and then flat lids with a band that seals it on. Have you seen those too? Do you use those here? Yeah. Is that the most common? Yes. That, I like those very much, that's what I use most commonly as well. So, what you're going to do is you're going to take your lids and the rings, and I put them in a saucepan, and I bring them to a simmer, not really boiling even, because you want the ring to be soft, but it can get more brittle the longer it uh, heats. So, I just try to keep them hot, but not boiling, don't boil them, they can get a little bit tougher and not maybe seal as well. So so, you have to have that going, and your, your sauce that's hot, um, and then your jars that are hot. So, let's say we did applesauce, and we were cooking it in a big kettle. Um, we have a Victoria strainer that we put the apples through that takes out the seeds and the stems and the skin. And then, do you use that too? Do you use a Victoria strainer for making applesauce? So, when you, you don't have to, to peel them, you just cut them in quarters and stick them in a, your big um, stock pot and you're boiling them until they just poof and they're soft. And then we put them through a Victoria strainer, which is a big funnel that moves it through an extractor that pushes the, the skins out into one bowl and squeezes the applesauce through little holes into another bowl. And then we put it into the jars. So, I should have gotten a picture of that for you, my. So, I, don't, I didn't. So, um, we'll look up Victoria's strainer. So, that's useful like getting, getting seeds out, but not pits. <laughs> so, we use it primarily for that. You can use it for tomato juice, if you're going to get the skins off the tomatoes that way. So, um, then you're going to put your food, like your applesauce in here, and. You're going to bring it up to a boil. Let me show you the picture of the one we have. We have a, um, this is the water bath. So it is, that you can see is the jar lifter. And Desley has a jar lifter here that you're going to pick them out when you're finished canning. And to get the, the lids and the rings out we use a magnet it's a lifter that you put in the water it's a plastic length with a magnet that just pulls the lids out of the hot water so you don't get your hands hurt this is a tong you could use and i've used two forks before <laughs> and just picked it up that way so canning i think is great for bulk foods you it just is you can't put everything in a freezer, and you want to travel with this, to go camp meeting. You take your applesauce with you, it's fantastic, everybody's happy. My son's really happy with peanut butter and applesauce on bread. So, that's what he grew up for for tea. Law in Arabia, right? No cooking, that's too much, it's hot there. But we had two cooked meals, and then, if they wanted to eat supper or tea, they had peanut butter and applesauce, and I made applesauce out of of quince apples, whatever I could find in Arabia I used. So, this has a very long shelf life, it's great that way, it fosters teamwork to use this kind of preservation, and it's fun to do as a family. I'm telling you, kids get creative on how to make it faster. Jonathan made something like put two blades together facing up with a tube and we would throw the apples down and they go through and they were cut into a big ice chest, you know, any big container. And then we'd bring it over and put it, I mean, it was just, it's really fun working together. Um, that's if you have a lot to do at once. Whoops. Okay. So, the steam canner, this is the first kind we had. It's a rack in a small bottom um, pot, and then the tall one is covering them. So, that's a little bit different than the water bath. So, the water bath, when you put your jars in and and you cover it, you're going to wait until, at least in hours, you're going to wait until you um, see steam escaping out of it, of it through the holes, and then you start timing it, so it's up to the right heat. And you're going to time it for 30 minutes for the, the, these high acid foods, primarily. But you should look for a chart that would tell you how it would differ for different things. But generally speaking, we do 30 minutes for applesauce, even though you can get by with 20. We just want to make sure, you know, that we didn't, if we didn't catch it, we're busy, and we might not catch the time it right, got up to temperature. So you, you kind of want to give yourself some leeway there. Um, we like the steam canners a lot, and they have some advantages. This is the steam canner we started off with, and it's less cumbersome than the water bath. It's not so heavy if you need to move it off the stove. Um, It doesn't have as much water to fill it in. You know when I was using the water bath, you've got water, you've got to cover those jars with one to two inches of water when you bring it, so that's a lot of water in there. And then if you're going to load it again with more jars, those jars cannot handle that heat of the water that it was in there. So you've got to take some of it out and cool it down a little and put your jars in. Or you're putting jars in, like, in and out, dipping them, trying to get them used to the heat so they don't crack on you. And it's miserable when they crack inside there. One jar is floating all in there. Now you've got to clean the whole can out. (laughs) So that's a good reason you want to check your jars and to use the, the jars also that have no nicks on the, the, lip, the lip. You'll check it by just moving your hand around and seeing is there, is it uneven, is it have a nick? If it's a little tiny, just change in the glass, that's fine. But if it's chipped off, it's better to use one that doesn't have any chip on it. And then you'll be sure of a seal. The cheaper jars that we might reuse, like a mayonnaise jar, those tend to not hold up as well as these jars. So you might not want to risk that to use those. Um, But we don't have as much trouble with cracking the jars when you use a steam canner because you just set it on the rack. You're not dealing with that hot water. And it's faster. Not having to deal with the water issues and the weight of it, especially for us ladies. Now, the one we like the best... hmm, ...is the Victorio Steam Canner. It has a temperature for altitude gauge on the lid. So, where we live, we're in Zone 1, and I have to wait for the needle, this red needle, to go all the way into the dark. Once it's up there, then I know I'm ready to, so you're going to have to know what growing zone you're in, what altitude you're in, so to know how hot you need to make it. So, that is nice. This one actually is the newest one. It has a glass lid, and it can double as a large pot, a stock pot. So, when you're not canning, you can use it. That is really nice. Um, And it's bigger. What it has inside is the rack down low, but high enough for the water. So it's like the one in the former picture. There's a rack in there, it's probably about this high off the bottom. So there's water, you're only filling this much water in there, maybe four inches. And you might need to add, you need to watch the water in this. So after you've done the canning, the same amount of timing, half an hour, Anything that requires more than five, 45 minutes to can, we don't use a steam or water bath for, you'd use pressure. So it, it will can betw- between 30 and 45 minutes for sure. So it will seal. So this kind of a rack is what they have in that Victorio. It's in the bottom there, you fill in the water, and you, put, you load your jars. But they're steaming instead of being in water. Is that clear? Okay. So, we like it because it can take eight jars instead of seven. So, any bit, any bit counts to save time, right? When you take your jars out, you want to set them on a towel. So, it's not getting on any surface that might be cold like tile or, you know, just to protect them from breaking. You might cover them with a little towel if there's drafts. And you just let them, I like to let them just stay overnight before you touch the, the seals, and just take the rings off later. You could clean off the, uh, the neck. And I didn't tell you that you're only going to fill your jar up to the neck, here when you're filling it. Okay? Some people turn them upside down afterwards. Um, I haven't done that, but that is a method and I think it's more used for hot packing. Have you heard of hot packing? Well, it's not recommended, but it's when people do everything hot, the jars, the sauce, the lids, and they're working very quickly and sealing it and not processing it. It saves all that processing time, but you are taking more risk. And so actually, of course, they have to not recommend it, you know, the government or that that's not as safe a way to, to work. And you do need, I always use my husband then to help me because you don't want to, we need more hands to keep everything hot. So I've, I've just read more up on that and it's not recommended. So that's when people tend to invert the jar and get the, the heat down on that lid. Some people do it even for just water bathing. Do you have any questions about the water bath or steam bath? Steam canning? Yes. So, but the, they're really all the fruits, including tomato, which is a fruit. All the low acid are all the vegetables. So, the problem with tomatoes is they're a little sweeter now and so they're adding a little bit more um, lemon juice to them, but I have not had a trouble with them. You can add your salt in, you know, in the top with your tomatoes to keep them well. Um, That's the real, that's what the high acid food is. Now. The last one is pressure canning, and I guess we're, we're just right where we need to be with time. The pressure canner looks like this. It can be a lot shorter. They have them at that store nearby that I was telling you about. They're good for vegetables and beans, like dried beans. If you soak your dried beans, I have a friend, our neighbor, that actually, she um, soaks beans of different variety, and she puts... No, she doesn't even soak them, I don't think. I think she just puts one cup in each liter and fills it with water to the neck and pressure cans them. But you can read up on this. I'm going to give you all the information on how to pressure can. They have a gauge at the top that you know what pressure it needs to be for the vegetable you're doing and for how long it needs to be. So this is so tall you would put jars on top of each other in this one. You have, they ha- they come in all um, heights. So, if you're going to, this one looks similar to the clips that you use here, some of you, the jars. If she, what she, do, well, the reason she does the beans is because she doesn't like to get the tinned beans. And she likes to have them ready for her husband. And so she makes a batch of lentils and black-eyed peas and b- brown beans and black beans and white beans. And she puts them all in there and cans them. And when she's done, she has beans to take on trips. She has beans to take to camp meeting, you know, in the car just to eat. And there's beans that she can put in bean salad that are all cooked. So I just thought that was quite amazing. So that is a really economical way to get um, organic, you know, jarred beans that, that you can take with you. Um, It's economical, rather than getting it from the store, that organic beans, but they may be available inexpensively too. And it's convenient because she can just open it up and she just can't say, oh I forgot to soak the beans, oh no, (laughs) you know, so we're going to have roasted vegetables. We eat a lot of roasted vegetables on the farm, (laughs) we have so much vegetables. But beans are so important for our protein. Vegetables, like green beans, are great to do this way. We do pumpkin this way, for like your pumpkin pie. And you can just open it. So I, let's see. This is our friend. (laughs) Have you seen this Vidalia chopper? Do you have a chopper here that you use? You do? Have you seen one of these? Similar to it? Yeah, this is the one we use. It it makes a great bridal shower gift if you're a farmer. So, and you want to process things. So, it's quick chopping, and when you chop in the lower part of this Vidalia top, um, it has a little plastic box that catches all the food, and you can chop a lot of tomatoes. So, you slice or quarter your tomatoes if they're small, but you can slice them, it doesn't have to be thin, you don't ha- and potatoes can go through that too, and have roasted potatoes, so you maybe this thick, and you, you're going to just put a slice in, and you go wham, and you just got this little, I watched these kids do this at my daughter's wedding, the girls were just lickety split, all the tomatoes just went to make salsa, fresh salsa, you know? or canned salsa, so you've got these chunky tomatoes, chunky onions, so the onions the same way. You just slice the onions, put them on, and then freeze them. Or can them, you know, with with your tomatoes. So that's when you want to process things longer. If you have more vegetables in your tomatoes, you can add a little, you know, of the lemon juice for sure. When you have the capsicum and the onions... And you use peppers. So this is where we chop them. Like if you want to disguise your peppers in a salad, you can put them in that little tiny one. And you know what I mean? Just have them in the salsa, if you know, know, just let them be um, various ways. So you can use this for potatoes and eggplants, for canning, freezing, or drying. And I'm sorry for keeping you over a little. We have storage crops, like potatoes, sweet potatoes, winter squash, garlic, and tomatoes. And we need to know how to keep them. So the potatoes are kept in a cool climate. I'm going to give you a chart with the exact degrees and what, what you need to do for a potato crop to keep it well. That's important, because you want to store it and eat it all winter. And, or if you're selling it, you want it to keep as well. Um, sweet potatoes need a warm temperature, and that is, we like to keep them in our home in a cooler room in the winter, because they don't, it's, it's a little cooler than you would like your house at, but it's, it's, I don't know how to convert right now. I don't remember where, I, I actually converted this for you, and somehow that got not with my notes. <laughs> so um, it's going to be what we say 55 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's like a cool spring day. Okay? as sweater day. So you want it in a cool room in the house and they'll keep really well. You can just put them in a box under a bed in a closet and just go through them every once in a while. You don't want ones that are nicked in there or going to spoil. Potatoes do great in a dry cellar. Uh, Let's see. Garlic is a little tricky. It keeps best at a freezing temperature, like that would be zero degrees, right? Yeah, if you're going to um, sell it. If you have seed garlic, it has to be at a higher temperature, which would be 55, that, that cool spring temperature. And it has to have a certain amount of humidity, low humidity. And so that will be on the chart. And tomatoes, we like to keep them. We harvest them right before the freeze, and we like to keep them, and they keep a long time if you keep them in a cool place, and you have it so no rats or mice can get to them. So you needed to have them so that they're not available for the vermin. So we actually made a safe area that was screened off because we have so many beautiful tomatoes. And then they're ripening slowly, and you just need to go through them. So it needs a cool place where they're ripening slowly, and the green tomatoes just separate them by color, the greener ones, like that. So there you go. Um, I hope you really enjoy taking care of your families and preserving food. And being a blessing, is there any question you have? I would like to give, make sure I get your emails, okay? Because um, Desley's going to send you the notes that are more, that we couldn't go, go over all of them here. And do you have any more questions? Nope? Okay. Have a great afternoon and evening. Let's have a prayer to finish, okay? Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us the wisdom and understanding of how to take care of the food you give us that you've put it in the hearts of mankind to, to study these things out and to learn. And we want to learn more. And we thank you for the way that you've provided for us to do things simply and nutritiously and well. Make us servants of yours in blessing others with good food. Thank you for helping us to put you first and to seek the kingdom of God first. And you said all these things will be added to us. Thank you for blessing us as we obey you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.